As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter in the Until Saturday feed. I'm Mitch Light, joined by our usual cast of characters, although guys... We might be down a man soon. Manny Navarro covers Miami for us, covers recruiting. We found out starting a new career this week. He will be color analyst for the FIU Southeast Missouri State women's softball game on ESPN+. And I just assume after this performance, you will be on to bigger and better things, Manny. So thanks for joining us on this final appearance for you on Stars Matter. Wow, I'm I'm getting let go after uh, <laughs> after telling you I'm going to do a one softball game on Friday. No, we just uh, assume you're going to be hired away. Oh, okay. Well, I I don't I don't think that's going to happen. First of all, we don't get paid a lot of money to do these games, so I can okay. tell you that it's not. I'm, I won't be leaving for the money. Okay. Uh, okay, I am leaving for the experience on Friday, and then I will be right back to do more recruiting for you. Good, and and welcome Ari Wasserman, who is seeing. Uh, I think a new financial opportunity and, and plans to make more money off of this game than Manny. Is that true? Do they have women's college softball lines? Like, I'm serious. Like, do they? I'll, I'll say one so. thing. They have college baseball. I don't know about softball. You got to be really, really handsome to get put on TV, Manny. So that's a nice <laughs> little feather on your cap. Uh, congratulations on, on that and your headed places. Let me know when the calendar is released. Grace, All and right. welcome to Grace Rayner, who covers recruiting for us as well. Were there lines on your high school basketball? Like <laughs> Grace's over uh, over under assists in a game, like four point five. <laughs> no, like how how bad were we going to lose? That would be the only line. But I'm with Ari. I'm going to watch this on Friday, Manny. I'm pumped. It's going to be. Now amazing. I'm feeling pressure. Now I'm feeling well, pressure for sure. You know, your viewership <laughs> might have just doubled when when we the three of us tuned in. <laughs> so, guys, guess what? It's National Signing Day. Is everyone excited? Woo! Okay, so we've all of us have written about it, talked about it. I, I think this is every year becomes less significant. This is by far the least significant February National Signing Day. Uh, we'll get into it. Terry Bussey, five star, was really the only drama today. There were some others, but uh, not many at all. So we will be going over some signings in the show, but we're going to talk just like a typical show. We're going to do a lot of other things. We're going to get into some interesting stuff that Manny wrote about in the state of Florida. Um, I thought that was really interesting about what's going on in this recent class and what might be going on in the future. Ohio State had a recent run of success. Uh, 
And I'm going to ask the question, is this like the year of the wide receiver? Uh, just such great wide receivers at the top. Is this a trend? And uh, we'll have a trivia question based on those uh, wide receivers there. So, um, But first, let's hit on some things from signing day. Uh, there were three unsigned five stars. Ryan Williams was technically unsigned. Well, he was unsigned. Number four player in the class committed to Alabama was locked in. No suspense there. And then Dominic McKinley, number 14, had committed to LSU. Flipping from A&M, no suspense there. But the big one was athlete Terry Bussey, uh, number 11 overall. Um, remained committed to Texas A&M. So if you looked up their class, he was still in it, um, but was pretty much uncommitted. You know, I guess visited Georgia, but it was down to Texas A&M and LSU. Um, signs with Texas A&M. And Ari, softball question here, but you got a new staff and Mike Elko. Obviously a huge get to keep him in their class. If it's a softball question, does Manny have to give the play-by-play? <laughs> um, yeah, Manny, I want you to analyze Ari's answer yeah. after this. <laughs> well, well, guys, uh, could have been a better effort, and uh, he rarely, if ever, performs on a national stage. Back to you guys up at the booth. Um, I think it's really good. Um, <laughs> it's kind of interesting because two of the biggest coaching moves um, of this cycle happened at Alabama and A&M, two places that have recruited at the elite level in the recent past. And both Kalen DeBoer at Alabama and Mike Elko at A&M had a five-star uh, that was committed to the previous staff open up the uh, thought process there after the coaching change, and then both of them were able to get them. Now, I don't know if you count landing the player that was committed to the previous staff um, again as a, a major hit. I absolutely do. I think that if you are out there in the open and you're, you're going out and seeing all the other top five programs in the country that are recruiting you and you still choose the first year head coach, that should count as a recruiting win. So um, the thing that I'm most fascinated with when it comes to A&M is that um, anybody who read our expose on how things went wrong uh, with Jimbo Fisher done by Sam Kahn and, and the rest of the staff here at The Athletic knows that, you know, A&M has done a very good job in the past of signing elite level classes with, you know, 2022 class at 18 top 100 players in it. That stat is still blows my mind. But the functionality of the group that they brought in and and how they were able to get the best out of them or not able to get the best out of those players once they arrived on campus, let alone retaining them, uh, was the reason why Jimbo Fisher got paid $72 million to not coach. So um, certainly a huge win for A&M in this, in this regard. But I'm very curious to see how Mike Elko, who was a part of the staff during that 2022 cycle, um, approaches recruiting. Like, is A&M going to count stars? Are they going to try their best to you know, land a bunch of five-star prospects, or are they going to try to to build a more functional team that can be very good? And, you know, Mr. Stars Matter guy knows that those two things usually equate, but they have not equated it at Texas A&M. Is there, a, is there an approach shift? Um, obviously, if anybody has seen uh, Bussy's tape, he's one of the best, most electrifying players in the class. Anybody would be lucky to have him in, in A&M. Had, had a big run here, but as we go into the 2025 cycle and you have first-year coaches at places that have recruited traditionally at a very high level. It'll be very curious for me to see how they approach recruiting, the territories that they focus on, and whether or not it's going to be any reminiscence of of what it looked like before. Grace, Gatlin Bear signs with Oregon. You've talked to his coach a couple times, uh, I think, over the past month. No surprise here, I assume. Yeah, I thought it was interesting um, when Gatlin was on his visit to Michigan this fall, um, his high school coach had said that he just straight up asked Tarball, like, what's the deal with the NFL? Are you going to go? Or are you going to stay? 
And Harbaugh had told him, you know, I don't want any other college job, but if the right opportunity comes along, um, that's probably something I'm going to be interested in. And so I thought it was fascinating that I, I talked to this coach probably a week ago. Um, and he was saying that Gatlin had, had sort of made his decision as if Harbaugh was not going to be there. So once that writing was on the wall, obviously once it became official, um, I think him going to Oregon made a lot of sense. Now I want to get to, um, story that props to Jim Harbaugh for being honest about it. I agree. I agree. Like just so much of it was like, it just seemed like this, it just felt like the public perception of it. And then what he was saying in private didn't really match up. And I'm like this, why don't you just say this out loud? I I don't know. Like it just felt like he was way more candid behind closed doors, which I thought was interesting. That's the one thing that I'll always forever wonder. And we'll never really get that. But like, if I could have any recruiting story, Mitch, maybe we could do this game and another episode of like your goat, recruiting story if you were ever granted access would be to sit in the living room mine would be to sit in the living room with jim harbaugh as he is in an in-home visit and and kind of taking note of his interactions how he acted how he spoke uh, how honest and candid he was about things just like he is such an odd bizarre person and then like to watch him in an intimate environment where you have to close a recruit would have been like my um, what do they call it? my holy grail stories now i'm sad that's never going to happen it never probably would have happened anyway um but man, that he just seems like two yeah, different people. Isn't sometimes. that against the rules? I think it is. Uh, I think it's a, years ago, it used to be okay. You could have reporters in in with visits. I think it's against the rules now. I uh, think it's against the rules if you publicize who the kid is. Okay. I think there's some wiggle room because there has been some, you know, stories yeah. written in the past about exposes about how things were going behind closed doors in recruiting environments. But either way, they wouldn't even let you talk to him on the phone. So I don't think that there'd be any scenario of, of being in the living room with him, but I would, I would trade years off my life to have that opportunity. By the way, I know this is an audio podcast, but we can just, I can just see it in Manny's eyes right now. The wheels are turned. He's second guessing the Southeast Missouri state coach lineup. (laughs) should be Not ninth. So just, just give us your time for the next uh, 45 minutes. But I do want to get to Manny's story the other day. Uh, Basically just kind of the state of Florida, some thoughts of his on the state of Florida recruiting. And one thing when Ari and I first started working together and started doing this podcast, he kind of pointed out to me, because I always followed recruiting, but not the minutia, like, and Manny knows this obviously, but if you looked at Alabama's rise, it sort of coincided with the regression of the big three in Florida because Alabama was getting so many elite recruits from Florida and South Florida, those two or three kids they get every year aren't going to the in-state schools. And that just adds up over time. So Manny looked this up. There are 21 top 200 national prospects in the state of Florida in the 24 cycle, not including the IMG Academy kids in 16 signed with in-state programs, 16 of 21 in the 23 cycle, 19 of the 34 kids went out of state. So like, to me, that is pretty staggering. And I hope it's not, I hope it's a trend because I think it's good for the sport when those three teams are getting in-state players. So I guess Manny just kind of take it from there and whether you think it's a trend and then the the other is just, I know Ari will want to chime in because I, I, I doubt you realized it was to that degree, Ari, but, but Manny, you go first. Well, I, I think it's really the Mario Cristobal effect in, in a lot of ways. And, and I know Miami's NIL is, is pretty strong. And obviously, I'm not going to say that that didn't play a factor in Miami having a top five recruiting class this year. But uh, Mario Cristobal is a grinder when it comes to recruiting. And he's not afraid to go after elite players, even in, you know, that are committed to 
Florida State or Florida, right? He's going to go after those guys 100, 100 miles an hour. He did it to Ohio State, took two blue chippers away from Ohio State. Um, so to me, you know, Miami signed eight uh, of those 16 guys that decided to uh, to stay in state to, to play out of the 21 top 200 recruits. And and it's a testament to Mario's grit and why he's here. Uh, you know, you look at what what's happened to Miami. I know everybody's always said, well, Miami still has, you know, top 15 level recruiting classes. To me, there's a huge difference between top 15 and top five or, or top seven. And uh, you look at the ACC. I just looked at this today as we were filling out our ACC roundtable uh, story, Mitch. Uh, Miami's the only ACC program to have a top 10 recruiting classes uh, each of the last two years. This, this cycle and, and in 23, Clemson had five straight before that where they were in the top 10. So you talk about a shift of power. It, it, a lot of it starts at home. It starts in your own state, being able to keep the best players home. And, and so to me, Miami and uh, Miami success, a lot to do with this. And, and then I would say Florida state, you know, going 13 and zero and having the season they had, right. Mike Norvell. Um, there's a lot of guys that, that, that look at Florida state differently now than they did the last few years. So uh, kudos to those coaches for, for doing it. Norvell has done it a lot through the transfer portal, but now he's got one of his best recruiting classes ever at Florida state. And, um, and, and Cristobal, you know, that's been his thing. All right. Was I correct in my assessment that this, that instead stat would interest you a lot? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I submitted a story to you that's running on Friday that you probably haven't gotten to yet since it was so close to when we started, but you know, one of my things is like Saban's gone. When is a Florida school going to sign an elite level class? And I know that Miami did to a certain extent last year, but we're talking about the difference between truly like Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama of old elite and like really, really good. And the schools that are trying to like make something of themselves, the Miamis, the Oregons, the the Texases, even like there is still a, a a layer there that isn't being hit. And when you look at how many players, I think off the top of my head, if I look this up right now on my, in my notes, um, I'll find that there are um, a lot of uh, 23 players in the top 150 in Florida in this cycle. And, you know, Florida state has been building up in a way where they have gone from, like Manny said, transfer portal heavy to recruiting heavy. And it's like last year, their class finished 12th. I think like, that's not, where they should be if things are really, really humming coming off of a year in which they went undefeated. You got 23 top 100 players or 150 players in your own state this year, not to mention that you have the the brand awareness and the ability to go, you know, into Georgia and other places in the South like you have in the past. Like Florida State should be a top seven class every year if they're doing things right. Florida, um, another example, they're in a, a state of desperation right now. And, you know, the number one killer that came in and took people out of Florida is not there. So, you know, I think that it is interesting over the course of time that Florida state, Florida and Miami haven't all really been dominant at the same time congruently. So like, you know, there's going to be that in-state battle between the big three in Florida, but if Alabama doesn't come in and take, you know, the best players routinely the way that they have in the past, this should open up the doors for the resurgence of at least one of those teams being a national power in the way that they were that we know when I was growing up, you know, 15, 17 years ago, Um, that's all there for the taking now. And whenever you lose, a play a, a fixture in the sport the way that you do with Alabama and Nick Saban, it doesn't just free up Florida. What about all the other secondary players that Alabama was getting out of Texas and 
you know, other states in the South. What about, what does that mean for Hugh Freeze? Like there are so many, like the domino effect of what this means, like Saban's absence for other programs is a profound thought process. And I hope you read the story that I filed to Mitch on Friday. So, cause I kind of go into that in terms of, of what it means for, for other programs. And, and Grace, I look at Clemson, which is off to a good start. And I know you're working on us. We keep teasing stories. Grace is working on a Clemson's hot 2025 start as a program that can take advantage. You know, I, first of all, I want to ask you, we might've talked about this. Was there any tie other than Dabo going to Alabama and being from Alabama that they're kind of success in Alabama, or was it just kind of fluky and random? Cause you know, getting, getting some of those wide receivers, especially, and I guess the last couple of classes too. It's pretty recent. Honestly, I think if I'm not mistaken, them getting Justin Ross in 2018 might have been the first time they went into Alabama and got a a kid of that significance. So, um, I mean, he obviously has ties to high school coaches and he's got contacts and friends down there. Um, But yeah, that's another school. Clemson is another school that's going to benefit from Saban's retirement. Now, I think Kirby Smart is probably going to fill this role pretty easily. Like, I think just because Saban's gone doesn't mean you don't have to look out for Georgia slipping right in. But um, certainly Clemson's a school that's going to benefit from that as well. And and you you mentioned Florida and Florida State. The funny thing or the interesting thing was like Florida State's class was top five. You know, they got dinged. They lost what uh, Bolden and Armando Blount, two five stars from that class and a couple other guys. The whole narrative was that Florida's class fell apart and Florida State had a better recruiting cycle. Now, they the rankings are pretty much done. Florida State ends number 12. Florida ends 14. But that's really a product of the numbers in the class. Florida State's blue chip ratio, 70%. Florida's blue chip ratio, 73%. Average player rating at Florida State, 90.89. Average player rating at Florida, 91.56. So Florida State technically has the better recruiting class but i think anybody who looks at these numbers florida's quality of player they got is better i think ari don't you think that would shock a lot of people who just kind of read the headlines yeah i mean i don't know I, did were people like freaking out about how awesome florida state did last year i mean i don't think i was um, well, I, they were, if you looked at that they were in the top five for a while well yeah they also both of those teams lost important pieces and yeah. i think the reason why the florida freak out happened isn't so much in comparison to florida state it is you know, Billy Napier was hired to be the anti Dan Mullen and, you know, hired a 20 or 25 person recruiting staff in order to change the tide there. And it finally seemed as if Florida was in position to sign a truly elite, legitimately elite class. And then what did they have? Like five or six top 150 players flip out of their class in, in a six week period heading into the early signing period. I don't think it was so much what the final product was, or where the final product ended up for Florida, I think it was what could have been and how quickly it fell apart that got people all freaked out. Um, but yes, it was. Those are interesting stats, Mitch, and you know, obviously a really critical year uh, for Billy Napier, both on the field and in recruiting. Like, eventually, you got to get the results, and he hasn't. I mean, they've they've had some flare ups of of good things like DJ Lagway last year and stuff, but Florida has not gotten the results that Florida can get if things are humming the right way. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Manny, how much did this move the needle? Today, we're recording on Wednesday. Miami loses GM Alonzo Highsmith to the Patriots. Um... GM's a new title. I don't know this. Correct me if I'm wrong. I have a feeling that Mario is very, very hands-on and that the GM at Miami Mm -hmm. isn't maybe as important as GM's at other programs. I'm sure they're all structured differently. Is this a big deal for Miami? Well, I think from from the outside perspective, Alonzo Highsmith's a great, you know, one of the the greatest Hurricanes of all time. He was a top three NFL pick and viewed as a hero because he's like, you know, South Florida born and raised type of guy. Um, so when he was hired to be the GM, everybody saw this as, well, this is going to be great. Alonzo spent the last 30 years in the NFL as a, as a NFL personnel guy. This is going to really help Miami in the transfer portal. He's going to be so involved in recruiting. The reality is Mario Cristobal, as you said, has his finger on everything, right? It, it is his program. And so I think to the people who know better, uh, this isn't as big a deal um, because Ultimately, every decision goes through Mario. He's the guy who, who does the final evaluations and says yes or no. Now, is it going to hurt Miami in the long run? Probably a little bit because Alonzo Highsmith had a lot of really good NFL connections. Whenever um, you know guys need to draft grades, uh, you know I'm talking about juniors and seniors, draft eligible players. Uh, Alonzo could call NFL scouts up and find out, hey, is this guy legitimately a third, fourth, fifth round pick? Should should he be leaving, etc. And that and that's a va- that's a valuable resource, right? When you have a trusted NFL personnel guy in your building, it can help some guys when it comes to making a decision to leave the draft. But ultimately, uh, how much of an effect did Alonzo Heisman really have on Miami's recruiting success? I would say minimal. I, I would say a lot of this ultimately comes down to Mario and the NIL. So is it a big deal? No. And I'm interested to see who Mario hires because the next person who gets that GM role has to know I'm still. I still have a boss to report to that's yeah. going to make all the decisions. Like uh, we, we uh, by the way, man, I got bad news for you. Um, someone's trying to steal your thunder today. There's been another huge media announcement that Nick Saban will be um, now on game day every week. So oh. I don't know, Manny on FIU softball, Saban on game. I kind that's of a tough one. They're both yeah. both huge. Um, <laughs> so we talked. In fact. I got it. That wouldn't it be funny if Nick Saban was hired to co- to like do softball games? That'd be awesome. I didn't say what's the sport. most watched yeah. sporting event of the entire year. Um, <laughs> Nick Saban will join ESPN as an on-air commentator this fall. It could yeah. be any sport. Exactly, Ari. I mean, it could Never be. Know. I'm assuming it's softball. Um, so when we had um, Alabama GM, uh, Ari, I'm drawing a blank on our buddy's name. Your buddy's name. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Courtney Morgan. Courtney, yeah, Courtney Morgan. Morgan on. I tried to get at that. Like that's in an honest moment. Like not that it's like state secrets. I'd love to know what the communication is. If like a Courtney Morgan brings to Kalen DeBoer, like I've got this wide receiver. I really like him. 
And I know they'll say it's all collaborative, but then Kalen DeBoer is looking at it. The wide receivers coach is looking at it and the offensive coordinator. I just love to know. I love the the, the uh, communication there. And, and, and I guess every school, the hierarchy is different, like I said, about I guess the head coach has final say always, but but Manny, like you're painting a picture where the in Miami that 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 role is is less significant than a lot of other schools. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, it, it depends on the person who who's in that spot, right, and what their strengths are. I think ideally at the college level, uh, you want somebody who has really good relationships across both platforms, right? Like the NFL, the the pro level, the transfer level, and then also the high school level. And, and I think unfortunately there's just not a lot of people out there that can, can fill maybe both of those roles, right. To be a a real GM, to be able to, to do scouting on both levels uh, and be able, you know, be knowledgeable and and have the connections you want. And uh, so it, like I said, that's why I think this is super interesting. The fact that this new position that's sort of been created in college football um, you know, do you, do you, do you have an individual ideally who is the perfect fit for that? Does it take maybe some pressure off of the head coach or in the end, does it always just fall on the head coach to be that guy? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that there, um, I don't know if there ever be a scenario where the head coach isn't the dude who ultimately makes all the final calls. All right. Did, uh, Mark Pantoni have that title of GM? I probably had that role, no. but uh, I don't know if he does now. He didn't, he was director of player personnel when I was there. Um, and he was, I believe, one of the first, if not the first person to ever be hired specifically to lead a recruiting department. I think yeah. that when you go amazing to, how quickly this has grown in the past 10 years. I think he's yeah, I mean, this right was now, like, right? GM I re- and personnel. When I got hired um, by The Athletic in 2017 from Cleveland.com, my last story on Cleveland.com, and this was in 2016, was how Ohio State was spending a million dollars a year on recruiting support staff and like was like leading the trend of the expansion of that as a department. And like now it's crazy to say, but it's going on like eight years of since that story ran. Um, and that's just like if you don't have a 10 person million dollar recruiting staff, like then your program is like not being managed properly. So it certainly has changed. I don't know if his if his title has changed. Uh, maybe it has, but I he think Barton is. Simmons might have been. Was he Barton the first GM? The title? But I think the GM thing too is like a lot of these personnel guys want to. Like, I mean, if you ask a lot of them in conversations that I've had, it's like, what is your career goal? You know, their career goal isn't to be the head coach of a college football program. Right. It's to be a. It's going to be a an NFL GM. Yeah. Like that's what they want. So, like having that title, I think probably helps the resume too a little bit more in terms of the correlation of experiences are trying to make moves the same way that Highsmith just did. I want to get back to the story because we're talking about staffers that you, you wrote um, Ari, I think it published Friday and I know Grace and Manny have talked to a lot of recruiting staffers and, and Grace, you wrote something from the symposium last year in Nashville and um, Ari wrote it was sort of like uh, asked uh, 10 staffers, what rules they'd like to change and all that. And one thing that got me in, and like, I think we all agree that the system's quote unquote broken, that it's, it's the December sucks and, and, and June sucks and all that. And that the rules, they need to have someone in the, in the room who, who has, who has those jobs. But is there, is there also a little bit of this? It's like, just people like to complain when you, when you tell them you can talk about something and we're not going to use your name. Cause all right, I think you put in the point, like what's good for a P five staff, a staffer at a P five, school with national championship aspirations is not good for what's wanted a mid-tier P5 or a high group five. And it's just, it's very difficult in the sport to please everyone. 
Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, I think that there's one undisputable fact that everybody in that realm would agree with, and that's that things are kind of broken right now. But the things and the solutions that they have for changing the things that are broken are all different. So when we get to a point in time, I don't know why I have a pen in my hand. I'm talking like I'm Lee Corso. Uh, when like, uh, when uh, we get to the point in time where there actually is evolution and change in the sport, some people are going to be very happy and some people aren't. And then if you get hired uh, from one place to the other where the rules are more advantageous for you, then your attitude will change. Um, that said, I do think that having um, – 12 team playoff the portal window in an early signing period in the same month is just stupid. I think everybody would know that uh, just by looking at it. It's just not a tenable situation, Um, but there's a lot of solutions to the rules that I think would make it easier for everybody, even if not ideal for everybody. Yeah. As I've mentioned several times in the past, I'm working on this college baseball recruiting roundtable, And one of the questions are about NIL and transfer portal. And you got coaches at the schools at the top of the food chain about the transfer portal. They said, if you would have asked me, uh, it's good for my program now, but I come from the mid-major ranks, so it's very difficult for these mid-major schools. They keep losing all their guys, and we're seeing it in you know every sport. It's just you got a hundred and what is it, thirty-two teams now, and they've all got not all, but there's different agendas, there's different budgets, and the line is you know I was even before all this happened that just that Akron and Alabama are basically playing for the same title in theory. But it's just that's kind of an aside there. Um, you back our. What, what's the NIL scenario like in baseball? Like, I mean, I, I don't even know. What. It's pretty robust in the SEC, um, and, and, and basically, what a lot of coaches are saying: baseball is what's called an equivalency sport. Is they have eleven point seven scholarships for forty players, so they divide mm-hmm. that out to you know very few people are on full rides. So there's a lot of financial aid. There's a lot of in-state aid. There's a lot of academic aid, but what they use is these SEC schools now is it in the past where you might have some kids paying twenty, thirty thousand dollars or take out loans to play college baseball. They don't have to do that anymore. The NIL makes the difference in some places. Now, some schools use it. You know, <laughs> LSU is very aggressive in the NIL they, in Tennessee. These kids like like in football and basketball, they're they're wooing kids that way. But it's it's really helped out. Um, especially in the ACC and some Big 12 and ACC programs kind of close that gap between what these kids are getting scholarship-wise and what they have to pay. Well, in baseball, too, aren't they? Aren't a lot of these kids who are going to college making a decision between going pro and signing actual contracts with pro franchises to play in AAA and AA Definitely. and AA? Kids turning like, down a lot of money. Yeah. It's like not in high school football. It's not like go to college football or get signed to the Cleveland Browns practice squad right out of the gate either. So right. I would think that would even make more sense for that sport than football. But right. if, the, if yeah. the money was that important to a lot of kids, they would sign. This is interesting. It's changed. But I remember talking to Vanderbilt's coach when he took over. He'd come from Clemson. And I, it was like a whatever. He was talking about this. Like, there's, no, not much, there's no cheating in college baseball. This is 15, 20 years ago. It's because if kids, you know, you weren't going to get like a $10,000 bag, like if it was in the money, he would have signed for them. You know, he would have, these kids are turned down million dollar contracts. It's like, so there's just not, is there cheating in baseball now? I no, same, same deal. But now the fine, now there's different levels of finances, like different NIL packages and all that stuff. But it was just, um, it was just funny. And he said, very few kids in baseball flipped too. you know, sport people have been flipping in football forever i would you know i would think um so uh a little aside there you can learn a lot on this podcast i think it's a recruiting podcast i like thought that was interesting we talked softball 
We talked baseball. We we're all over the place here. Coming up next, professional chess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, actually, amateur chess. Yeah. Year of the wide receiver, guys. The numbers one, three, and four players in the country are wide receivers. Jeremiah Smith, one. And as you guys know, who've, I've edited all your stories this past week. The freaking rankings are changing by the hour. Yes. And it's really annoying. Oh, yes. So as, as keep of, it. Who cares? Because of now. <laughs> Don't say that stuff out loud. We try to get things right. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. Uh, uh, so Jeremiah Smith has been number one basically throughout um, maybe the last two months, probably. Uh, Cam Coleman is now number three. And Ryan Williams, who reclassified as number four, that tells you how good he must be if you reclassified. Uh, two of those guys are actually from Alabama. So before we go into that, whew, some more. I am calling an audible. And sorry to use the name of another podcast on our that. Yeah, they're banned from the show. So yeah. I don't know why you would bring them up. Um, the, I know you're banned from that. Even though you appear, appear repeatedly, you, you I know you love to. Claim. It's because Bruce lets me on. Stewart's the one that has the ban. I need I Stewart. You should hear what he says me. about in our editor meetings about keeping you off the audible. It's like Mitch. Yeah, I know it's insane. You sure? Ari has a story. I guess he write. doesn't like numbers. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, stars don't matter. Um, so. My question is, my trivia question is, this is the... Oh, we're doing trivia right now? Yeah, yeah because it's based on this wide receiver stat. Middle of the show. Grace. Yeah. Uh -oh. yeah. I, I, I sensed Grace was going to duck out early, so I wanted to... She's like a, she was looking at her watch when you said <laughs> trivia time. Oh, my God. Gotta go. Um, so, three... This is the second time in the modern recruiting era that there's been three wide receivers among the top five. Oof. Can you name the other year? This is very difficult. This and is who, impossible. I know. It's more this is more just like further discussion in who they were. I'm trying to remember what year Doriel Green Beckham was. Uh it was 2012. There were two that year. Okay, and so that's EGB not it. And someone else. Okay, I'll give you the year and see if I you have no chance at this. Yeah, Grace. Yeah, what's the year? Grace, like no, Grace, no offense. Don't even think about it. No, I'm out. <laughs> Oh, Ari, what'd you say? Oh, 2006 was I said 2012, I, okay. but you said that was wrong. Yeah, so 2006, I thought someone said, was interesting. Percy Harvin, two, and Vidal Hazelton, USC, three. If I give you the year, I'll give you the year and see if you guys can get them. It's yeah, if it, what okay. is it? 2005. Oof, come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't high school, dude. <laughs> I had, two, I had two kids. <laughs> There's no chance. Was okay. that? That's not Willie Williams' year. Willie Williams was 2004. Hold yeah, on. Have to take this one. There is a Williams among the three. Okay. Um, there was a Williams amongst the three. Yeah. There's a, I know there's, who it is. Who? Uh, I don't remember his first name, but I think he went to Penn State. What the? F yes, he's from Maryland, I believe. David? Is it David? Nope. Close. It rhymes with what? What man? You know? I, I was gonna say I don't know. I'm like I'm like trying to think back, and it's so so long. It's 19 years ago now. <laughs> I'm just I'm not, no. You know it's this it's is, Derek Williams. Yeah, Derek Williams. Manny, sometimes life's not easy. You know. I know. I know. Is, yeah, Southeast Missouri State's gonna bring someone out of the bullpen that you've never heard of, and you got to analyze. So you know, life yeah. is difficult sometimes. Um, <laughs> okay, Patrick Turner, who's from Nashville, number two, yeah. went to USC. Okay. Derek Williams, number four. Went to Penn State. 
and Fred Rouse. Remember that name? Fred Rouse, Tallahassee, right? Yeah, yeah, FSU. So when I was looking up this, I noticed early in the 2000s, there were a lot of wide receivers ranked high. Then there's a huge gap. Like most years, there's no top fives, maybe one. All defensive ends and quarterbacks. Yeah. So like, is it is this a trend that, or does it reflect like the draft? I didn't go back and look at corresponding drafts because I know that. that well, I think it comes at an interesting time, Mitch, because we just got done with a season where it was dominated by elite level receiver play. Um, and I think that we're getting to the point, like it's an interesting thought process and we'll probably have more discussions about this sort of thing into the off season. But, you know, we are three or four years removed. Like after Trevor Lawrence won the national title at Clemson, like the discussion was, and then Tua came, I believe, after him. Um, do you have to have a bona fide first round future NFL star quarterback to win a national championship in college football? And in the time since we found that that's probably not the case because teams um, have won them without elite level player i mean this past year even like jj mccarthy i don't know if he's a first round pick or not but wasn't nearly in the same realm as tua or or deshaun watson or trevor lawrence or guys like that um as a passer anyway now i'm wondering and it's funny enough because michigan didn't have this guy either to win the national championship this year but do you have to have a unbelievably good wide receiver game breaker um on your team in college to be an amazing, amazing team. And maybe the answer to that's no, because Michigan just overcame all that with everybody else. But when you look at the other three teams that were in the college football playoff this year, um, two of them had some of the best receiver talent in the country. Um, I'm talking about Texas with Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell. And then, of course, we all know what Washington had Washington. last year with, with Roma Dunze and stuff. But like, if you go look, it's like, why did Florida State go undefeated? I don't know. Maybe because they had Keon Coleman on their team this year. And, and, um, Ohio State was a very flawed team, it turned out. But at the same time, Marvin Harrison Jr. carried them to almost beating the national champion on the final drive. I, I just don't it, – it's just important. And, like, when you look at, like – okay, so everybody knows I'm a gambling addict. Um, <laughs> and I gamble on sports cards because that's, like, my hobby that Bill Landis got me into, and I buy cards. And the only cards that sell really for anything that are worth – big money are the elite level quarterbacks. And I've come to find out, and I think this is true with Jalen Hurts even, is that in the NFL, if you don't have a true number one receiver, you have a hard time at that level too. It's like Jalen Hurts turned into one of the best quarterbacks in the league the second they got A.J. Brown on the team. It's like, I just think that the receiver position hasn't always been viewed as a necessity. And I kind of feel like that's changing a little bit. Sorry if that was long. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought A.J. Brown up because this is what I was going to say. And you might, I might've said this on the podcast. I think I've told you this, Ari, but in my, seven years of being a sideline reporter for radio for Vanderbilt and I'm literally on the sidelines, I really started to gain appreciation for how awesome some of these wide receivers are. And, and it, I would say AJ Brown, I did sideline for every, I don't, yeah, even Alabama, like every sec team, multiple times, Georgia, AJ Brown was the most physically impressive athlete I saw in seven years there. And I remember, remember when Missouri got good out of nowhere, like 2012, they or were this like, year. Well, yeah, they were burden, but they were like five and one midseason, but hadn't beaten anyone. And they came to Nashville and I think Vanderbilt might have been favored by two or whatever. And I just looked and they had these three wide receivers and we could I forgot their names. They could look. They had just some total dudes at wide receiver. And I was just they were all like six, four. And they won big that game and they went on and won the SEC East. And I was just like from that moment, I was just like, I don't think as a viewing public, 
We appreciate. Did you get a bet in? Wide receiver. I did not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not know I, just, I just didn't know Manny was going to be calling somebody from the sideline there at the yeah. Southeast Missouri State game. So I, I man, just one second. I don't. I think like that's when as a, as a viewing public, those of us who love the sport, watch from the couch a lot or in the press box, don't appreciate how dominant a wide receiver can be. Who'd you say was the most physically imposing? AJ Brown. Yes, Derek Barnett on defense and AJ Brown on offense. Go ahead, Manny. All right. So we're talking about how important the wide receiver is, right? And again, this is one statistic, may not mean anything to you, but you look at the last three national champions, including Michigan, right? And and the two Georgia teams before it. There's not a single wide receiver who was ranked among the top 100 in the country in receiving yards per game on either of those teams. So you're saying we're a bunch of idiots? I'm just saying that wow. if the receiver position was so important, not since Devonta Smith and John Mitchie has there been. Did in, you just look that up? I just looked that up. No, Lad McConkey was kind of nasty two years ago. He didn't qualify just because yeah. of the injuries uh, or anything. But I'm just saying, like in the end, you look at the stats. Brock Bowers all the time, though. Like, right, Brock Bowers is the only one, but he's not a receiver. He's a tight end, right? So we're he's talking a receiver. wide receiver. Yeah, no, he, good, that's like, an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. and it's also just like the good teams are good because like you got to cover everything. You got to cover Brock mm-hmm. Bowers. You got to watch the running backs. See the quarterback's good. Like especially Georgia two years. He sets in Bennett. That's how wide receivers get wide open because you got to cover everyone. All I know right. is there was a handful of teams this past year who were very good who would not have been very good if they didn't have the receivers they had. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think Washington would have made the playoff if they didn't have Romo Dunze on their team. Manny, stop coming up with stats. That, when we talk for 10 minutes about how something's important, <laughs> just keep him out. got college football stats downloaded into his brain like he's got the Elon Musk chip. I, know, I, I, I really think, Ari, if you open a couple of the spreadsheets, that yeah, I know, I, know. I, would I would have a stroke. stroke. <laughs> <laughs> Ari honestly might pass out. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, I was going to say it's impressive. There's other words for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are other words for it, and they're medicated, but. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guess what we're going to talk about? Ohio State recruiting. All right, can I go take a break then? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. This is, uh, they are an impressive 2025 run. Five-star cornerback Naheem offered uh, number five overall, the number one quarterback committed over the weekend from Birmingham, Alabama. Joins the number two cornerback in the class, Devin Sanchez, who's from Houston, who committed in January. The number four cornerback in the class is Dorian Brew from Texas. His mom was a track star at Ohio State and is in the Hall is in the Ohio State Hall of Fame. And there are three crystal ball predictions for him. There's a very good chance that Ohio State could have three of the top five co- cornerbacks in the class, and they'd be from Birmingham and two from Texas. Um, Ari, that seems to be important. That would be good. Am I am I right? Would that be yeah, good? Yeah, I think that they they're doing they're recruiting. Uh, they're recruiting like it's personal right now. Um, so that's good. I think that Ohio state has always been in a position where um, it recruits talent like this. And it's like, this nice to see it spread out a little bit more. It's some more diverse positions. I mean, the cornerback domination in the 2025 class is some is like a breath of fresh air in terms of, you know, you know, 
what it's been like in the past. It used to just be like top five class with six top 100 receivers in it. It's like, okay, you know, kind of spreading it around a little bit. Like Ohio State now, if you combine what they're doing in 2025 um, and what they just brought in in the portal, like is setting a nice little foundation for the next few years. So, um, you know, this isn't new. They, they constantly recruit at a high level. And I think that it seems to have even gone up a little bit, taken up uh, another notch now that things aren't going so well in Columbus. So yep. very cool to see how this team um, rounds out the 2025 class. But I asked this question in the story that I filed to you, Mitch, and I want to ask it to you guys. It's like Jim Harbaugh is gone uh, and Nick Saban is gone. It's like, who is the second best recruiting head coach in college football and why? And like, is Ryan Day the answer? Is Dan Lanning the answer? Is Mario Dan the answer? Is I'm just saying. Yeah, is so Dan Lanning the I, I answer? To, Dan Lanning hasn't signed a class like this. True. I, I'm, I'm going to play off what you just said there, Ari. And I think sometimes we, they're fun to write about. We kind of force recruiting rivalries. I know there was an Ohio State Clemson one there for a while, and obviously you have the natural rivals. But I'd be interested to see what happens with Oregon recruiting in two or three years. Are they? You're going to be really excited to read the story I filed to you. I think They're, we're hitting on a lot of the <laughs> stuff that I wrote. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they have a recruiting rivalry with USC, and I think that you could partially put USC's inability to sign a top ten player in their own state on Oregon's on Oregon's yeah. plate in that regard. So, so but yeah. does Oregon three or four years in and they're a top two or three program in the Big Ten? Are they battling Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State for for a kid from Illinois? You know, are they going to stay yeah. true to who they are? Will you add that to what I wrote? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Is it going to happen? Or would, they, would you, Manny, would, do you, if you're them, do you try going to the footprint and say, okay, we're playing two or three games in your region a year? Or do they just say, hey, we've got this formula. We, we're, we're going in the Northwest a little bit in Seattle, but we're living in California. We're going to Texas. You just kind of stay who you are. Well, you're still playing the majority of your games at home every season right they're, they're still going to play probably seven games at home every year so you have to stay out on the west coast from the majority of it but I, I i would tend to think that they'll be able to go into some new states that they haven't necessarily ventured into before in the midwest the ohio's the illinois and get guys that are top 200 recruits that that may be able to help them at spots where they normally don't get players um you know i don't know exactly what position breakdowns that, that is but I, I would tend to think that if you're Oregon, this is an opportunity to really become a national power. Uh, the the Pac-12 for so long was just sort of overlooked. Everybody would say, oh, they just beat each other up. Now that they're in the Big Ten, um, I, I would tend to think this is going to just help their profile and make them a legitimate national title contender. And, and you know programs love to boast about things. And, <clears throat> you know, the excuse me, the recruiting staffers at Oregon are telling kids, Alabama wanted our coach, whether, you know, mm -hmm. whether how true, you know, we know there obviously would have been interest. Alabama wanted our coach. He'd rather be at Oregon than Alabama. So right. like, don't you want to be at Oregon? So I think that that'll, you know, they'll, they'll use any message. If there's any program in the country that could recruit that way, um, it is Oregon because they're already kind of forced to get people on an airplane to go there. Um, the thing that I do wonder, Mitch, um, just as a, boy, a blanket statement to what you were asking is, is there any shifts, whether it be conference or television contracts or any sort of third party factor that could ever neutralize the importance of geography? Like that to me is, is an interesting thought. It's like at a certain point, um, yeah, you know, yeah. I don't care how national, right. Uh, yeah. I don't care how national um, 
the sport gets from a recruiting standpoint, the best teams always do really well at home. Yep. And Oregon kind of doesn't have a home. So, you know, like, I don't know how it's going to shake out, but recruiting four four-star prospects in the top 100 out of Chicago is just always going to be inherently a more difficult proposition for a program that's on the West Coast. And I don't care how how big their profile is or their NIL situation. It's like whatever Oregon's paying, I'm sure that there are teams that are within driving distance or closer uh, flight that are offering the same. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but it will be interesting to see like new conference affiliations. It's like all of a sudden is Stanford going to start recruiting Jacksonville because they're in the ACC now? Like I don't see that happening, um, but definitely the evolution of this is going to be fun to track. Yeah. Um, I gave Grace a homework assignment. What? So th- there was um, saw some headlines about some Shane Beamer and Dabo Sweeney in some state NIL rules. And so I basically said, Grace, figure out what's going on here and tell us on the podcast. So <laughs> I, think, I think you did your homework, right, Grace? I did do my homework. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were at the state house earlier this week with um, Coastal Carolina coach Tim Beck was there too, just basically asking lawmakers to sort of amend this bill and amend the state's NIL rules that would allow these schools to help facilitate deals for their players. Um, I think you look now and right now, if a kid comes to Clemson and says, I have this NIL opportunity, what do you think? The only thing that Clemson and South Carolina, these schools in state are allowed to say is whether or not it, it will keep them compliant with NCAA rules. They're not giving any business advice, any legal advice. Um, I think we've seen what happens, right? When NIL gets out of hand and you, the kids are, are getting screwed by people with maybe not great intentions or just don't really know what's happening. And so um, I think that's a big piece of it is like, all right, can we help facilitate? Let's, we're not going to pay them. Obviously we're not going to directly compensate them, but can we have a little bit more of an active role in facilitating these deals? How weird is it? And in, in just the weirdest sport ever that the NIL rules are so new and what's going on that so this, so many states have different rules too. Like yeah. Missouri's advantageous. South Carolina's like, well, how are we going to recruit against Missouri? Because they're and just, to me, it's just, it's, it's wild. It's just, it's just, I don't know. I, I had an administrator that, that I spoke to this week explain to me how the way around getting in trouble with the NCAA <laughs> is essentially using the media, the recruiting websites, to do all of your work for you, right? So essentially the recruiting department will call the website and say, we're going to have such and such on campus. Please put this story out. And then immediately the NIL people read the story and jump ahead of it. So that's that's essentially the way that, that this administrator... So you're saying me. the recruit the websites will do what the schools tell them to do? Basically. That's okay. the dumbest model I've so ever heard in my life. They're adding they're an like, extra layer than just calling them on a burner. They're like relying on like that's, the boneheads in the media to do this for them. I have yeah. had a coach in my past send me a phone number of a prospect and try to call him ahead of a visit to get the word out. That like, I've heard that. That's happened before. School. Yeah. Makes sense. Did you do it? No. Okay. I work for you. <laughs> it's a test um that is so crazy like i don't know yeah why not just it's like why why decide that that's going to be the rule that you are going to follow when you're breaking i mean like right. listen, this, is, this isn't a this isn't a 
backhanded jab at the wonderful recruiting services um, that we use very much so in our analysis, like 247 and on three and all those sites do a tremendous job. They do a very different job than we do. Um, And their job certainly is more of a give and take with the programs. It's um, a lot of times, at least at the team, at the team level, those teams. than it is. So, like in terms of like the media, like I think being the publisher of Missouri's two four seven site, the requirements and how you work with the program are much different than they would be for the Missouri beat writer at the Athletic. And I think that a lot of times, and and maybe I'm just saying thing that's obvious to some and, and weird to a few, but. I think there is a disconnect between like what fans think our jobs are and who we're serving and what we're supposed to be doing. Like at the athletic, we are serving the reader. Like that's, that's who we're serving. Um, And those places are too, but there's also a, a, an information exchange that happens in the underbelly of the recruiting world with certain media members in order to garner information. And they're very good at it. It's just not what we do. So it's just, it's different at every level and you have different, different responsibilities. I really, I really think readers have, have been confused by these team sites to think that you're supposed to just be a cheerleader, mm-hmm. right? And I think, unfortunately, websites like ours pay the price because the, the people who pay for our subscriptions read, read those other stories on the other websites and they think, well, why is this guy being a hater? Or why is this reporter you know, writing about something that I think is in a negative light instead of being a cheerleader? And, and so the expectation That's is almost different. Why? That's yeah. why I, in, on comments, every, like if you ever read anything I ever write about Ohio State, Michigan, mm-hmm. um, I'll get that you hate my team stuff. And sometimes yeah. people say I hate Ohio State. Like it happens all the time based on my background. And it's like, I don't think that people can, because people are so like entrenched and passionate about who they root for. Right. They can't imagine that there are people out there that are doing this without any rooting interest or that we don't watch the games on Saturday and like hope somebody wins because Mm -hmm. it's such a foreign concept to them. And a lot of people in on the team site level um, don't feel the same way. So it is a, it's a, it's a different world. um, And there's two ways to skin a cat, right? I don't know why I said that. I'm not like 73 <laughs> years old, but like there's multiple ways to do the job. Um, and I respect the people who do it there too, the way that they need to do it. Everybody's got a job to do and uh, how you do it just can be different sometimes. So I should have brought this up earlier. Uh, Mike Smeltz, one of the producers on uh, at the athletic reached out to me. He said, small, s- small stars matter question to chew on. And this was basically after Ohio state got the commitment from the, the five-star cornerback. All right, this is right up your wheelhouse. If Vegas had to make the line today on the Michigan-Ohio State game based on what's happened in the past month or two, and maybe there is an early line on it, what would you guys say the line would be? I would say it's it's in Columbus. Columbus this year. Nine and a half? Is that too low? I would think it would be uh, – that's what I was thinking. somewhere. Mike, Mike said nine, 13 seven. and a half. Yeah. Manny it, it could be. Could be by the end of the season. But if you were to set the line right now, how many points would it take for you to pick Michigan? Maybe, I'd say I'd set it at nine and a half, but for me to take it might be 13 and a half. I don't know. I mean, some people listening to the show would be like, I'll take them anyway. Right. Because they've beat them three straight years. <laughs> I mean, there is a certain, I mean, the personnel stuff. If the personnel was the only thing telling the story, Ohio State wouldn't have lost any of the last three games. I mean, maybe last year they might have because the Michigan, you know, the one thing that Michigan's done really well of is hitting on a very large percentage of their really good recruits. Like, like they don't recruit 
17 top 100 players in a class, but if they get five of them in a class, like four of them turn out to be really, really good. Um, so that matters. But yeah, it's not a personnel thing. It's whether or not you think Ryan Day can can overcome whatever's ailing him right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if I were to set the line, I would be somewhere in the nine to 10 range. Yeah. So I gave you guys one more thing we're going to hit on, gave you guys a little homework, um, additional homework. Um, the new head coaches in the, in the, F, in the, uh, power five or power four. I'm still, it's going to take forever. Ari, did you see that? It's like, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily rank them. I'm going to, I'm going to list the coaches, Sharon Moore, Brent Brennan, Jed Fish, Kalen DeBoer, Mike Elko, Jonathan Smith, Jeff Levy, David Braun, Fran Brown, Kurt Signetti, Manny Diaz, and Willie Fritz. Let's each pick a, a two or three, one or two guys that we're most excited about. Not maybe recruiting, just who can elevate the pro- like not who's going to win the most amount of games, but who can elevate the program the most. I'm going to go with two. I'm going Willie Fritz, who I think can get Houston out of its inconsistency and it's live, finally live up to expectations, whatever those are, not necessarily win the Big 12, but just be a consistent winner. He's won everywhere he's been. You left him off your list, by the way. I've got him on mine. Oh, sorry. Um, and then I'm going to go um, <laughs> Fran, Fran Brown. Just think that there's just – now he's got a is that where, is that, You got juice right now? You're like really amped up to watch Syracuse? Yeah, I mean they they are relevant nationally for the you know I know they had that one one break yeah. in the year but they they're they're relevant nationally for the first time in a, in, a, in a decade I'd say so you guys can pick mine or you can pick your own Grace you go next I also had Fran Brown just because I think he has the most potential to completely change the perception of his program like how I think we wrote this right in our story tomorrow he got. Uh, there were like three, four stars that committed to him in like a two week, two to three week span. As soon as he got that job, like I just think four, four stars signed three yeah. that he got and they had four combined in the previous four years or something. Like I think every ACC coach has never really had to pay attention to Syracuse. And now you absolutely have to factor him in. I think if you're on the trail, so I picked him and then um, uh, Elko was my other one. I just, I just think he was a really smart hire and if you can win at Duke, I think you can win it anywhere. So Ari? Um, I mean, I think Kalen DeBoer is the actual answer for everyone. And I, even if you didn't pick him, like I'm assigning him to you because there's no question that he's the most he's fascinating. The I think interesting. I don't know that he's, he's the most exciting. Oh, most, oh like, exciting. Like, I mean, I'm I'm very inci- excited because intrigue means excitement to me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm um, all intrigued by what he's going to do there because it's Alabama and it's taking over for Nick Saban. I'm going to pick one that I know none of you are going to pick. And I think Jonathan Smith is a very fascinating person. I almost picked him. And I think, and I think that uh, we should probably try to write about him. One of us, Um, because Michigan state's recruiting strategy has kind of shifted back and forth over the years. You know, like at first, if you go back to the Mark D'Antonio years, it was get the three-star prospects and that we evaluate well and go into Ohio and pick the players that Ohio state didn't offer, but are really good because they were recruiting nationally develop the hell out of them. And every three or four years, we're going to have a really good team. And if you go back and look at the beginning portions of urban Myers tenure, there, Michigan state was the biggest thorn in their side, not Michigan. Um, then they started getting really good under D'Antonio and they started recruiting at a higher level. And then they started to stink on the field. And that's kind of how it began to kind of, you know, rattle out. And it turned out to be the end of his tenure there. Then they go higher 
Mel Tucker and his whole deal was we're going to get five stars from all over the country to come onto the campus and we're going to recruit elite level players at a, at a rate that this program never has before. And then that didn't work out. And obviously he's no longer the coach there. It's like, what is Jonathan Smith? Who's done a really good job at Oregon state and building something like out in no man's land going to do, are they going to be very transfer portal heavy? Are they going to recruit the hell out of Michigan? Are they going to try to go in and get the secondary players that Ohio state doesn't take out of Ohio? Like, what do you do when the previous three or four coaches who have been there or two or three even have all approached recruiting in a different, a starkly different manner. And I think I just might've pitched my story to myself. <laughs> um, but like, isn't that I interesting? Transcribe that and run it tomorrow. Okay. I mean, it is kind of an interesting thought process. Yeah. Like what is your plan at Michigan state? And it could be one of a few things. I think, yeah. didn't he say in his opening press conference that it like the three hour car radius was going to be his. Yeah. But I think that you, I think you're like letter. contractually obligated right, to say right. that in your opening press yeah. conference. Um, it's like I go to Burger King that's all within a three hour radius of my house. Doesn't mean I'm not going to eat one in Florida if I'm down there, you know? Like it's. <laughs> I don't know. Burger King is the one you're going to pick here. No, I like Burger King. Uh, there's one thing on Burger King's menu that's really good. And I think what? Burger King is the bastard stepchild of fast food, but there is one thing on it. Well, two things. I've been at Burger one, King for 40 Burger years. King, well, you're a gluten free person, so you can't I've, enjoy I've all these wonderful at, things. I've only been that for 15 years. Um, They've got the best breakfast, and I don't know if you eat fast food I breakfast, agree. but Burger King's croissant, which and hash browns were the best in all of fast food. But they have that long chicken sandwich that they have. It's a, it's a low key slapper. It'll make your head bop. I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, a little wait, wait, during this on there. Ari has tweeted several times about food. I re- yeah, you want to hear my food I think he's thing? Hungry. Let's, yeah, well, no, Manny, Manny has to go coach soon, but we're going to go ahead. He's got we, 10 minutes. Yeah, Fast food eggs are so sketchy. Yeah. I just, uh, just go get a Burger King croissant, which one day egg and cheese is how I do it. I skip the meat. It's delightful. Okay. It's so de- what are you going to say? So I was on this Southern tour with Andy Staples yeah. last year or two years ago now. And as a part of the Southern tour, he took me to the restaurants that he thinks are badass because the purveyor of punt pass and pork is like the number one source of sec food road trips. And he took me to this place um, at Ole Miss called Ajax diners, not a sponsor. Wish they were. And we had a sandwich that was a chicken fried steak sandwich and it had mashed potatoes and gravy on it on a home baked bun. And it was amongst one of the best sandwiches I've ever had in my entire life. And I thought this, what I'm about to say before I had the sandwich, and then it just got reinforced. But I think that chicken fried steak strips should be every bit as common in restaurants and fast food establishments in America as chicken fingers are. And I don't know why it's not. I'd never heard of a chicken fried steak until I came to college. And then one of my friends would get it all the time at Chili's right across from our door. Have you ever had a chicken fried steak before? The three of you? Uh, I have. I, 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 I mean, there's there's not much not to like. Right? It's a deep fried steak. Yeah, We're from the south. Sorry, we all. Okay, had I'm it. just saying. Like, why, <laughs> why, why is chicken fingers universally on every single menu at every restaurant, regardless of? Eat. I know, I know, kids <laughs> eat them. Are the chicken fingers? I think cheap. that steak fingers uh-huh. should be very, very, it's very, cheap, very yeah. common. They're and I feel like cheaper. if I was like, oh, I want country fried steak right now. I live in Dallas. I don't even know where I would go. Like, it's not one of these things that, like, I haven't had country fried steak probably. Oh, like Cracker Barrel or something. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cracker Barrel. But I haven't had it since I was with Andy two years ago because it's not on any menu at any restaurant I go to ever. And I just don't understand why it's such a, like, 
scarce item when it's so freaking delicious. It maybe, they'll, every every menu. maybe they'll be serving that in the press box at the FIU softball game. Chicken <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. I, will ask. I know he's trying to wind me down, but I, I don't understand why something so delicious is so rare. I I, I agree, Ari. I agree. Um, Manny, so what's your answer to this question? about the This is most, I, not that I've forgotten the subject, but we've gotten on the food, so my mind is in another place, but it's the two most intriguing hires. Is that what the, what the question is finally? Just oh, we're still talking about that. Well, man, we need we need to pretend like we care about what Manny says here. <laughs> yes, yeah, you got a power four coaches. I just want to know you're you're excited about. Day you day think can elevate the program? Uh well, listen, Indiana has a long way to go, but Kurt Signetti's. I kind of like him. Yeah, I like because I like he he had a lot of success at James Madison, right? And and former Alabama assistant. Uh, why not see what he can do in 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 the new Big Ten? Uh, and what kind of recruiter, what kind of players he's going to bring in, use the transfer portal. I- I'm interested to see what he does there. Um, and then my boy, Manny Diaz, uh, given an opportunity at Miami and it fell apart on him, kind of got the job taken away from him because Mario came back and this is act two for him in the ACC. Duke obviously proved that they were pretty good with Mike Elko. Let's see what he does. The second act. Those are the two intriguing ones for me. You know, I looked up and added to Grace's story, which is running Thursday that Duke has signed, including this class, only six prospects from Florida in the last six years. Mm-hmm. I would expect that to change, wouldn't you, Manny? Yeah, I would think that Manny Diaz is definitely going to come back into Broward County and Jacksonville area where Penn State was getting a lot of good players the last couple of years, especially in the secondary. So, yes, I, I think that will change under Manny. All right, you're watching, I know, uh, True Detective. Do you get confused every time when they talk to the, about the, uh, the Detective Navarro? That they're talking about me. I do. I, I yeah. keep calling her Detective Diaz for some reason. It's weird. <laughs> um, I have another take. Can I get it off real quick? Sure. If, if, yeah, I, I've got nowhere to go. I only get the, I only get the podcast once a week now. So I've got to talk to You must just, you talk to your wife right now. Why the Don't say <laughs> is true detective sci-fi right now? It's like, so Why weird. is it I like, no why are they, it's not like, Okay, listen, I know people know that I don't like comic book movies and science fiction movies and fantasy and all that stuff. But I think that the show is a murder crime drama. Why are dead people talking again and like people surviving ice freezes? And it's like, that's not (laughs) what I want. (laughs) And if you want the sci-fi fantasy thing, then at least explain it to me. It's I feel like I went to the movies to see Barbie and then it turned out to be Die Hard. It's like not even the same. It's not even the same genre. Are you? We're simple. It's like, we're simple guys. We just want. I just to want it to be based. I have this argument with my friends all the time, and they hate me for it because they say I lack imagination. If it is outside of the realm of reality, I'm no longer interested in your story. Like I, I don't care to know how this this ends now because it's not going to. If there's a murder documentary, I want to know who the. You sick thought Michigan, person Michigan who did it never was. beat Ohio State. You thought that was out the, outside the realm of. You're right, and now that it's happened, I'm interested in diving into it. I'm very interested in real life phenomenon. Okay. Apparently, there's this bridge in Japan or this field in Japan somewhere, um, and. For whatever reason, there is a very high rate of suicide in this field. Okay. Nobody knows why that's the case. I would like to go watch a documentary explaining the theories of why this seems to happen so often in this field and like why the phenomenon is happening. It's based in reality. It's happening on planet Earth. It's not written in some sick guy's brain. It's actually happening. I'd watch a documentary about that, even though it's weird and seems supernatural. I don't like however true detective ends. It's been a very good show. 
episode four aired on Sunday night and the first 45 minutes of the show was an entertaining drama. And then at the end, it turned into some supernatural bullshit. And it's like, (laughs) I did not sign up for this. Like I signed up to know which person was (laughs) responsible for these five murders. I don't care if it's some supernatural made up thing. True detective is about solving murders. Why did, when did it turn into Star Wars? And if it is going to turn into Star Wars, <laughs> tell us before we start watching it. We're four hours deep into this thing, and now I hate it. Yeah, then that, that's why they're not telling you, because they you would leave. But and most people like no that stuff. I just don't like it. Yeah, I'm with you, buddy. Manny? Uh, do you feel the same way, Mitch? 100%, but I still watch it. Just like I told my wife, if this were called something else and it was on a different network, I would not I watch it. I would shut it off. But it's HBO. It's True Detective, and I like the other ones, so. I know, but like, I hope that at the end of the series or at the end of the season, the explanation for what happened to the scientists in the Salal building is a human <laughs> act. If this is some sort it's of ghoul or be. goblin or ghost, or I mean, like, what the freak did I just watch? All right, I'm what's the best season? At it. What's season the one best is season? one of the best seasons one, of television season in the one. history of television. That- that's what I was going to say. To me, it's season one, and and just get it's getting worse. They just got to, you know. Season come, one trying had to- some weird stuff, but that was right. just mental illness. That wasn't like ghouls and goblins, was it? No. There wasn't yeah. a person who was dead who woke up. <laughs> that did not happen in season one. <laughs> All right. Manny they're dead. City, okay. They're dead. They're dead. Just like their network's going to be if you keep putting this crap out. <laughs> that right. Kirby enthusiasm was good, though. Yeah, I've not it seen was. it yet this week. Um, all right, that was uh, kind of got off the rails a little bit there, but you know, it's the last hour, so if people don't want to listen to it, they can have hung up. But like we, yeah. we did what we were supposed to do. <laughs> this is all bonus time. This is called Ari time. <laughs> Ari, can you um, sign us off? Thank you for listening to the latest edition of Stars Matter. We will catch you guys at some other time in the future, and we'll decide that based on whatever scientific fantasy we come up with. <laughs>